I'm going to ask, I'm going to begin by asking the same question that I asked last week. But before I do, I want you to stand with me. I want to pray. It's important to me that our eyes see and our ears hear today what Holy Spirit wants to release. Father, today I lift up my voice over the people that are in this house. I lift up my voice over those who are listening online. I lift up my voice over those who are listening to this recorded message some days from now. However they may be hearing, my prayer, my hope, my desire, and my heart is that they hear your voice within mine. My heart is that they hear what it is you want to teach us, what you want us to know, the revelation that you want to reveal to us. As simple as this message is in the mind of man, I pray, Father, that you will explode it by the Spirit in the heart of every hearer. Father, may you be in every way glorified today by the words released and by the words received. May you today shine and show, shine and show up so vastly in the heart and mind of every single person. Explode in us today the revelation of your truths. We draw out of you. We're thankful today for your anointing. We're thankful for Holy Spirit and we honor you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to begin today by asking the same question I asked last week, and that is, how do we reconcile that not everyone's journey looks the same? Before I begin or go any further, there's one thing that is important to me to do, and that is I want to correct something that I said or give explanation to something that was said last week to eliminate any confusion about what was said. There was a particular, my goal last week, which will be similar to this week, my goal last week was to draw a line and define the conflict that is within the church, within believers. Remember, one of the things that I said last week was I said that the crisis of conscience does not exist in those outside of God. They believe what they believe, they have no problem believing it. They like what they like, they don't like what they don't like, they have no problem with it. They, they don't care what you like, they don't care what somebody else likes, they don't care what you dislike, they don't care what somebody else dislikes. Crisis of conscience is not outside the kingdom. But within religion, within the church world, within the life of believers, there is a lot of crisis that exists. Because you line up five believers... And all of them are going to get into this, at some point, quarrel about why I believe this, you believe that, the third one believes something else, that one believes this, and, and it just goes right down the line. There's this crisis of conscience. So last week, in my attempt to define the differences of the arguments that we have within the church, I made a statement that did not, was not right and it was not good, nor was it my intention. While I was trying to show a sharp line between two things, I did in this one reference do exactly what I was trying to get us not to do. And that was when I referred to those who are pro-life, I referred to them as pro-life. And those who are not pro-life, I referred to them as pro-death. That was a poor choice of words. Because that is not in line with what Holy Spirit is trying to teach us right now. We could argue all day. We could line up across this building and all of us give a reason why we think it should be or could be defined as pro-death. But then you take those who have gone through it and who have had an abortion. I promise you today, 
that's so offensive to them and should be? Because it isn't. Their goal, I don't believe anyone's goal is to kill. Listen to me. If it's anyone's, it's few. That the goal is, the intention is, I want to destroy. Ultimately, people make decisions because they're trying to protect self. We make decisions to provide life for self. So no matter how it's defined, that was a poor choice of words on my part. And I want to make sure that you understand I am not of the line that believes, even though I completely disagree with abortion. I completely disagree with it. I'll be clear about that. But I am not one who believes that those who do are pro-death. I refuse to allow myself to get in the way of what Yahweh might want to do in anyone's life. That was the point I was trying to make last week. I was trying to distinguish one from another and how the argument is. In fact, by saying this right now, probably under the sound of my voice, whether watching online or in this room right now, probably under the sound of my voice, there might be some that say, well, I have a problem with you saying even that people that are believers. That is exactly what Holy Spirit's trying to walk us through right now. The conflict should not be in us. Does anybody hear me? Let's move forward. So what we did last week was we established that the arguments of faith that occur are within the church world, not the world. They are comfortable and in agreement. The world is comfortable and in agreement about what they believe, as I said a moment ago, but it is the church. It is us that are in conflict with ourselves. We are, we are fighting these battles. And, and I'm going to read again what I read last week. As I said, I was going to overlap. But before I do, I want to bring your attention to something. When I was in Bible college in Dallas, Texas, or right outside Dallas, Texas, back in 19, early 80s, and when I was in Bible college there, one of the things that kept coming back to me this week as I considered the message that I was, I'm in right now, the series that I'm in, I began to think about the different classes that I took. And I, and I won't go into detail because I don't want to call anybody out. What I want to do is bring healing where healing needs to be made. But I begin to reflect on specific classes that I would take, and the purpose in those classes was to define why that particular denomination of college that I went to, they wanted to define for the students why their perspective was right and every other church's perspective was wrong. The class was, had no intention of leading anyone closer to Christ. The purpose of the class did not exist so that we would know Christ better or we would align with his word the purpose of the class was to say let us explain to you by the time you finish this 12 week course you are going to understand why we are what we are right better than everybody else why we have understanding and nobody else does why God has given us this revelation and everybody else is just coming up short if, in other words, if they're not doing it like this, 
They still, they need a little more Jesus. The intention is good. So again, as I draw these parallels, please don't get offended with me. What I want to do is I want to eliminate these, I, I don't know a better way to define it other than that, this crisis of conscience that exists within people because sometimes we're so afraid to believe something because this other faith might, might, might not believe it. So we're in this world of, if I'm going to heaven, are they? Because we don't believe the same. Are we going to share space? Are you tracking with me? This is what Holy Spirit is telling me now to help us to get through with all that is going on all around us in the world. So as I would go into each class from one class to the other, and if I told you which classes these were, you'd be like, ah, oh, some of y'all would be like, I took that too. I'm in that right now. Some of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about because you, in whatever school you were in, doesn't matter if you're Assembly of God, Pentecostal, Methodist, Nazarene, whatever you are, they, the tendency is to do the same. While the intention is, we want you to know what we believe. What's really happening is, we want you to know why what we believe is right and what everybody else believes is wrong. In fact, one of the things that in the school that I went to, I'll just tell you, was Assembly of God School. And I'll tell you that one of the, one of the things that the Assembly of God School would teach us was in, in one of these classes was how wrong the Baptists were. And they let us know that in this class, I mean, an entire uh, class, uh, several classes actually, devoted to this cause, uncovering the Baptist lie. The Baptist lie was that tongues do not exist. You cannot speak in tongues. That has passed. The Baptist lie was that once saved, always saved. So they'd spent, they made sure to spend time so that when you graduated college, you would never fall into that demonic trap of ever believing that it's possible someone could actually get saved and stay that way. It's true. And they would break down different faiths and what have you. In fact, one of the classes was exactly about that. And it would go from one faith to the other. And all the, all the while, I'm sure, in some Baptist college somewhere, they're teaching their students, let us tell you why those Pentecostal folks that are speaking in tongues are headed straight to hell. Let me tell you why they're messed up. They aren't really saved because if they really were saved, they would never backslide. What does that do in the mind of a student? You walk out with your shoulders back thinking, I'm so glad I'm a part of this denomination. Man, they got it right. I want to go deliver all the Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and whatever, you just walk out of there and you feel like, man, I'm so glad I stumbled into this. I'm glad God called me into this group. And all the while, I can tell you really what the Father's doing in all of those classes and everything. And again, the intention's right. I'm not trying to slam anybody. I appreciate the intention. I'm pre I appreciate that the idea, the thought is we want to perpetuate what Holy Spirit has shown us and revealed to us. But often, that's almost always, that's the problem. We're perpetuating what he's shown us and we're not perpetuating what he gave to the whole church. So the intention is good, but at the end of the day, it creates people with a certificate at the end of their season and their time. It gives them a certificate that says, this is what you are and you better never be anything else. 
Don't get caught up with them. Don't get tangled up with them. Don't get twisted up with them. Don't get caught up with those who believe if you're not baptized in water, you're not saved. Don't get caught up in those people who believe in Trinity or oneness. Don't get caught up with those people. Don't, don't, don't even do that. If you ever come across them, make sure you have these scriptures memorized. And then they've got their own scriptures. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Even if you've never been to Bible college, it still exists. And every single person in this room, there's people in this room that went to many different schools. I think Tim and Liz, did you guys, did you not go to, was it a Nazarene school? Oh, no, we went to a totally public school. Oh, you went to a public college. Okay, you were Nazarene though, right? No, Lutheran. Lutheran, that's what it was, Lutheran. So they're twisted too. Like the rest of us. We come into it though and we get this, I was assembly of God, I'm proud to be. Mm, for about three and a half months. But I was proud during that time. I was proud. And I want everybody to know, because that's what we ask people. Yeah? What faith are you? Well, I'm Baptist. And while we say, oh, that's great, in the back of our mind, if we're not Baptist, we're like, sorry. (laughs) I'm Pentecostal. And then it's like, no, we can't have dinner. (laughs) I'm afraid what you might do at the table. You might float. The irony of the whole thing is that I was sharing this morning as we were having devotions back there, the irony of the whole thing is I was looking some things up and remembering one of these classes and it was talking about the Methodists and what they believe and maybe that's why it stuck in my head. But you know, the Methodists were the original holy rollers. They were the first church to be defined, first denomination to be defined as holy rollers. When, when the Methodist church was founded, they literally did what Pentecostals are defined as doing now. They were called Holy Rollers because they were known when Holy Spirit would move in the room and and the green cloud or the cloud would form or whatever would happen, people would lay down on the floor. They literally would roll around on the floor and they would yell and they would shout and they were known for their exuberant dancing. Literally. Ava this morning would have been a wonderful Methodist. She's, I mean, she's, there's arms everywhere. I did have to step back at one point because I was loving watching her engage in, in who she is. But in times past, you know, they'd have been, oh, phew, she's a Methodist. <laughs> and then when the Methodists decided that, you know, that's just a little too, too much, we're going to stop doing that, then the Pentecostals split off from the Methodists deciding, hmm, we, we want to keep this thing rolling. No pun intended. So what am I saying about all this? What I'm saying is to you is that, the, again, that crisis that is in us, that need to say why we are right, is, exists more in the church than anywhere else. Again, last week as we referred to the simple, not simple, but when we referred to the um, subject of abortion and homosexuality, outside of the church world, there's no fight. They just don't care. 
I realized when Holy Spirit gave me this word to teach this series for a few weeks last week, I think I said this last week, but I realized when he gave this to me that I'm probably going to, in the process of it, say some things that people might interpret how I feel about things, and I hope that you don't. I hope that you interpret what I feel about this is that no matter where we're at, no matter where we're walking, no matter what's going on in our lives, guess what? God loves us. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how we've done it. The truth is Yahweh loves us. And He sent His Son to die for everyone. Not just the one or two that got it all right from day one. There's not even one or two. So when as I begin to teach this and, and, and help us understand that the crisis is not outside the church, the crisis is in the church, what I want to do is, by Holy Spirit, I want to help us to eliminate whatever crisis might be in us. I said some years ago, I said, I pray that all will come, whether they're naked or clothed, hungry or filled. No matter how they come, drug addict, pedophile, adulterer, alcoholic, and even then, when I said back then, I said, even the pedophile, I had people call me and say, well, you know, but what, what, what about my kids? We've got to really dig deep sometimes, and we really have to ask ourselves, how far-reaching is the blood of Christ? Where does it stop washing sin away? Where does... The death, the resurrection, the death and the resurrection, where does it cease to have power? At what point? Where does the phrase, whosoever will, draw the line? What addendum is attached to that? So... As we dive into this thing, what I want to do today is I want to eliminate the crisis. And I want to get us focused on what we should be focusing on. Let me start by saying this very plainly. I don't care what the Baptists are doing or believe. I don't care what the Assemblies of God are doing or believe. I don't care what the Nazarene or the Methodist or the Seventh Day are doing or believe. I don't care what the Catholics are doing or what they believe. I'm not trying to build an argument nor a case to justify our rightness and their wrongness. What I care is whether the one that calls on the name of the Lord believes what he says when he answers their call. Can they receive the change that he wants to bring to them in the condition, whatever, everybody say whatever, whatever condition they find themselves in? Whether they are homosexual, whether they have had an abortion, whether they've had five abortions, in our mind we're like, oh my God, what can he do with these kinds of people? Greater things than he can do with you or me if we have that thought. (laughs) 
It's the Mary Magdalene's that rose to the occasion. When the front row Christians fell short. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So let's read. Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. We read this last week. I'm reading it again. And if you did not listen to last week, I encourage you to download the podcast, the Rock Central Florida podcast, or go to the website and watch it there. Romans 14, 1 through 12 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. What a profound statement. We could, again, I said it last week, we can stop right there. We could stop right there. Let's not argue, because this is all about those within the church, whether they were Gentile, whether they were Jew, whether they ate this or they didn't eat that, whether they were circumcised, whether they were uncircumcised, because this one believed about that. All these beliefs, and the Father said, it's all irrelevant. Everybody say irrelevant. Irrelevant. (laughs) Let's read. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Growing up, stopping right there, growing up, my dad um, was very much, he loved Yahweh with all of his heart, all of his soul, with everything in him, he loved Yahweh. And so we watched him as he would relate to God the way that he related to God when we were with him. We come from a divorced home, so we were in different places all the time. And we would watch my father, and it was very clear that he loved God with all of his heart. But he had this thing about him that just used to annoy my brother and me, and it was that on the Sabbath, the Sunday was the Sabbath to him. And man, on the Sabbath, you were going to church twice, and you weren't doing any work. Didn't matter that the women cooked. That was okay. We're going to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, and the women are cooking. How many know what I'm talking about in here? Some of y'all do. You grew up in that same household. All the men are in there watching football because they can't work. But those women can sweat and sweat and sweat and be in there in that hot kitchen. We wanted to go out and do something. If I, I loved to cut the grass because he had a riding, gravely riding lawnmower, and I wanted to go out and cut the grass, so I always wanted to go out. And, and, you know, it was just a good day to do it, and it was, no, don't even start that thing, son. They're cooking, but we have to eat. We have to cut the grass. There was no justification. But he was very stern, very staunch, very determined on the Sabbath. And he did not, in his mind, in his way, would not allow that Sabbath to be violated. He changed over the years, but in the, in, when, when I was little, he was very firm on that. And we played cards in his house. And we played Yahtzee. And we did these things. Then I would go and I would live with my mother and my stepfather. And my stepfather was religious of a different kind. And there were no dice allowed in the house. No cards. 
Meanwhile, he had 38 sins I could count off in 20 seconds. So all of this is going on, and it's so, so different. And you see this, and this is in the lives of all of us in this room right now. Some of us are going to go out, and we're going to sit and be with family over this 4th of July weekend, and there's going to be a lot of beliefs about all the different things that we believe. And, and you've got family that go to this church or that church, or they, they participate in this belief or that belief. And you're going to sit around the table, and they're going to say, well, why do you all do that? And you're going to say, well, why do you do that? I hope that your response will be different after we finish this today. So, when, so he says, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, the Sabbath, while another esteems all days alike. I'm glad that today. My rest is not found in the day that I do nothing on. My rest is found in him. Yet, if I run into somebody that says, I do no work on Saturday, I'm not going to say to them, you have completely misinterpreted that scripture. You better read that again. In fact, I'm going to read it for you. And I want to emphasize the right parts. No. You, Saturday's the Sabbath for you. Sunday's the Sabbath for you. Hey, go for it. Don't let me violate that in any way. So if we were going to do work together, we'll do work on another day together. Whatever it is. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. And he gives thanks or she gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. I'm responsible to him for me. As my children grew up, you've heard me say this before, my wife and I would literally look them in the face and we would say, one day, your, Yahweh will become your God, not mom and dad's God. One day, you will have a personal relationship with him and he will become your God and you will be accountable to what he says to you. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Again, I say to you before we jump into this next part, I say to you there are so many thoughts and ideas within the church world. We need to ask Holy Spirit, help me, Holy Spirit, get past what I hold against others that trust you, they believe in you, they call on your name. Help me to believe with them that in the condition they're in, wherever they are, you can change them. In your way and in your timing. I said to you last week that when I came to him, he did not say to me, Steve, before, you can, before I'll say yes to your repentance, you're going to clean up this and you're going to clean up that and you're going to clean up something else. I didn't know what needed to be cleaned up from him. But as I began to walk with him, he began to clean up those things in me that he needed to clean up in me. If I'd have cleaned them up simply because somebody said, you can't do that. I would have gone right back to it when they weren't looking. But when I clean it up because Holy Spirit says to me, Steve, it's time to move through that. I can move through that because He shows me, gives me a supernatural revelation of why that needs to change in me. 
And some of us in this room, we don't need people, not even a preacher standing behind a pulpit to tell you why what you're doing is wrong. What you need is Holy Spirit to give you a supernatural revelation of why change needs to come. And when that revelation comes, it makes sense. Lights come on and change happens. And we're all so, so, so incredibly different. None of us have lived in Christ long. Hear what I'm about to tell you. None of us have lived in Christ long without Holy Spirit changing our attitudes and convictions. If you are in Christ, you will not get through this week without Him bringing attention to some part of who you are that needs some adjustment or tweaking. It's true. You might not get through this day. You might not get through this service. And if He won't deal with you, your spouse will. But no, what matters is, what is He saying? Thank you. Got a roundy bottom. If we are in Christ, it's not a matter of will He ever speak to me, will He not? It's a matter of when. In fact, let me take it a little further. In this room right now, Christ has already, the the Holy Ghost in you, the Christ anointing in you, has already begun in some of us already this morning to begin to make us aware of, man, I've been holding this against them and I've been holding that against it already. He's beginning to give you revelation of things. And already, is that the craziest thing? He's actually changing you right now. And you haven't even left the building yet. It's incredible. That's how the Holy Ghost works. He will take a moment and He will say, okay, I'm going to illuminate this thing in them. Not because someone said it or someone did it. Someone might have sown some seed, but He said, I'm going to come in here. Man, I'm going to flood that seed with life and truth. But none of us have lived in Him long without Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to tweak this. And it doesn't even matter how long you've been in Christ. He's still tweaking. He's tweaking in me all the time. There's a lot of tweaking needs to happen in Steve Parker. I'm as human human today as I was when I was born. I'm just as human today. And there's just different things that need tweaking, but they need tweaking. Because as I grow in Him, things are revealed that were invisible before. But they're revealed now. And He says, before, that didn't matter. But now that I've made you aware of it, it does matter. Son, let me get you through that. Do you hear me today? I'm telling you, Holy Spirit's working on people right now. He's working in hearts right now, and He's beginning to show you that it isn't about what somebody else is doing or what somebody else isn't doing. It's about whether or not you're listening to Him. And letting Him do something miraculous right here inside of you. Romans chapter 15, let's turn to Romans 15 and let's read this together this morning. In Romans chapter 15 verse 1 it starts like this, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Not in my church. (laughs) 
this happens, again, it's just too much in the church world. We see the weak. <clears throat> Man, we pounce. It's like a lion after its prey. Too often in the church world. No room. What we do is we say, let me tell you why you're weak. We come at them with this attitude of, I'm concerned. I would just, if you just give me five minutes, I just really want to help you understand why you're weak. You can do that in five minutes. See, you know, you're doing this thing. And the other night I, I was driving by somewhere and I saw your car parked there. And by the way, you know, not that it matters, but I was on Facebook and I saw this post you made. And see, all of this, that's why you're weak. And you're really never going to grow in Jesus when you're making posts like that. And going to that place that I saw you at the other day, I just don't know that you can really have the right kind of relationship that he will make you strong. Do you want to be weak all your life? <laughs> That's the church. That's the church, man. That is the church. I Just in case you didn't notice, there's a couple faults going on in your life. God has really anointed me to be an exposer of faults. Yeah, I'm really good at it. I'm like 9 out of 10, I get it right. true just hang around me and I'm going to show you what a, a good Christian looks like by the time you and I get through Friday I'll have you transformed you'll be just like me and the whole time Yahweh's saying oh my gosh son go rescue that person we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves and that's what it does. That's what it does. We go to them and we say, oh, you know, you know, I'm anointed to really get you through this thing. And what that really does, too often, is it makes us feel good about who we are. Man, I must really be, if I can discern that they were hanging out at the wrong place or that post on Facebook and what they really meant. You know, I'm going to dive into that. This is what they're really saying. And Holy Spirit's like, who gives a rip what they're saying? Do you think by throwing down a comment underneath their comment, you're going to change anything about what they say? All you're going to do is invigorate their denial of truth. You're going to empower them. Holy Spirit said, wait till you see them. Walk with them. Let them see me and you, not you and you. Are you getting me this morning? Let them see the anointing of God at work in you, not the anointing that you want to work in them because somehow you believe you've become the answer 
of God to all men. You are an answer, but your best answer happens when your mouth is actually closed. Anybody hearing me today? We talked about pickets last week, so I won't dive into that again. But man, we do take those sticks and we cram them into the hearts of people who don't believe like we do. Let each of us please his, so do not please yourself, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance... He has not grown weary of helping anybody. He actually doesn't need us to remind people of all of their wrong. He needs us to remind people of their potential and their opportunity to walk in God. Yahweh is calling us to some, a different way of thinking. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Now let's just read that one again. May the God of endurance, everybody say the God of endurance, God of endurance. And, encouragement. and encouragement. May He grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Man, what does that actually look like? I want us to find out. Because let me tell you, in us, in all of us, you, me, all of us, you're not in this without me. I'm in it with you. In all of us, he's got a lot of work to do because we've trained our minds to immediately assume that we, because we can discern that someone's life is right, we misinterpret discernment for becoming their teacher. Discernment isn't meant to come to us so that we can bring an axe to their root. Discernment comes to us so that we know how to begin to intercede and prepare ourselves to be a demonstration for them. We have to change our minds. We have to change our way of thinking. We have to process differently. So if I'm the guy that's opposed to abortion and someone comes in that is for abortion and they're right here in this room. In this room among us today there's probably people that are pro-abortion. How does that make you feel? Don't answer. Those who are pro-abortion know you're among people who are pro-life. How does that make you feel? You know what it shouldn't do? For either side, shouldn't make any of us think, who is it? Who, who is he? Who is she? Who are they? What have they? How did they get in this place? They got in this place the same way you and I did, and they get into this place, whoever we are, we get into this place for the same exact reason, and that is because we are looking for a deeper place in, in the Father. We are looking for Him to change those places in us. We've not been able to change ourselves, and sometimes those places aren't even places we think needs changing. 
but he knows, so he orders our steps. You find yourself walking through the doors of a building, you're like, I don't even know that I fit here, and suddenly there's a reason, and you realize, I fit exactly. Healing is in the house. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with... What? One voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God, not the glory of men. This is not about me feeling good about myself. This is about me helping the Father be glorified in every single area and place. How do we bring glory to Him? I can tell you what we don't do is we don't bring glory to Him because we argue about all the things that we disagree on. This house is defined as, I guess, I don't know what, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, we, we, if you look on our website or whatever, it's, we're defined as or we describe ourselves as a non-denominational church. That's probably not even kind. Because to say that says, don't bring your denomination in here. We're not having any of your denomination. That's not even right. Even that. See, I didn't even ever consider that until just now. Just now. Whatever that's on will not be there by the end of the week. Because you can bring your denomination. You can bring your beliefs. You can bring your lack of belief. You can bring your fear, you can bring your courage, you can bring whatever it is you've got in here. And what we're going to believe is that we are one voice, glorifying God. And we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship, and we're going to do what we do, and we're going to bring glory to Him. And wherever you find yourself, at whatever place in life that you might find yourself, whatever understanding you might find that you have, whether it's the same as everyone or different than everyone, will be irrelevant. What matters is when He brings change, He brings it. Unless Holy Spirit draws anybody to the Father, they're not coming. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I just love that, and I've shared this before. I shared this particular verse when I was teaching the series, Follow Me as I Follow Christ. But I love this verse. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I always think, or I consider often, not always, but I consider often, again, how Christ would literally go through the marketplace and He would say to whomever it might be, follow me. And He never went to anybody and never said to them, are you assembly of God? Do you lean more Methodist? What's your tilt? Sadducee? Pharisee? I need to know because I I want you to follow me, but before I do, I want to know if I'm wasting my time. I really want to know what baggage you're going to be carrying into this thing that I'm doing. I really want to change the world, and I just really, there's not a lot of room for baggage. No, you didn't do any of that. But at the same time, as we were talking about the other day in one of our devotions at at the office, we were discussing it and we were talking about all the people that Christ literally walked by. 
to get to the one he said, follow me. Because he recognized in somebody, if they were going to be there and they had a heart to change, he's going to find them. I can tell you right now, there's nobody in this room right now without a heart to change. How do I know that? Because you're in this room. You could have stayed home and you could have been having eggs and bacon right now. Instead, you're here thinking about eggs and bacon. Do not agree with that. Do not. But he'd walk by him in the crowd. How many did he walk by when he went to Matthew, the tax collector? How many people did he walk past to get to him? And he got to him and he didn't say, hmm, which way do you lean, Matt? What were you thinking about when you got up today? Who have you helped this week? He didn't do any of that. He went to him, and he knew that in, the, in his heart, here was a man. Whether he was stealing tax, taking it legitimately, however he was getting it. I promise you, he was not the friend of many. And yet Christ went to him, and he said, follow me. How many fishermen did Christ walk past on the seashore to get to three Dudes that stunk and smelled like fish and say, follow me. He probably walked past people that smelled better, caught fish better, had bigger boats, better crew, knew where all the honey holes were. But he walked right past him and he went to Peter, James, and John, he said, follow me. You're going to be fishing, but it's going to be a different kind of fishing. What do you do that for? Because there was something in them. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Christ welcomed. He didn't say to any of those fishermen, who have you hurt? Who have you offended? He didn't ask them, how you been treating your husband or your wife? Wouldn't have been a husband. How you treating your wife? You've been good to your kids. What about your mom-in-law? He didn't ask them any of that. He already knew. And it was irrelevant. Because he knew that in them, there was a heart and a passion, even if they couldn't define it, to build the kingdom of God. And to build it not on what we've done and not on what we haven't done, but to build the kingdom of God on the faith that we possess, to believe that with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So to be His is to know thyself. To be His, everybody say this with me, to be His, to be his. is to know thyself. If soul searching is going to happen, the soul searching needs to happen here. Not looking past myself and saying, hmm, I'm going to look back there at Tim Carney's soul. <laughs> And sort it out. 
needs to happen here. To be His is to know thyself. And to reconcile those places in me that He's bringing change to, to reconcile those with Him. And then if I run into a brother that doesn't believe like me, but they've received Christ, that's a hard part, man. Because see, in our world, we're like, if they don't believe like me, I don't believe they believe Christ because Jesus would have told them exactly what He told me. Because He's not the author of confusion. His daddy knew exactly what He was doing. To be reconciled to Him, to be saturated with His way, His nature, His attitudes, His heart, His passion, is to be able to look around the room, look around the place where I'm at, look around my workplace. And this one says, man, I believe in Christ. I've received Christ on whatever date, and they're happy about it, and they're exuberant. They're, they're joyful that they know God, that they've received Yahweh, that they've received Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit's work. They're joyful. And, then, and you're excited with them. Yay, I'm so glad I met a Christian. And then they say to you, let's go party Friday night. And you're like, Ugh. you just said you knew God. Let the Father deal with them where they are. Sometimes He'll take you out of the party. Sometimes He'll put you in the party. Sometimes you'll be the party. (laughs) Was that Denise? (laughs) Denise is always the party. So to be His is to know thyself and to reconcile self to Him, to become of Him. To become of Him. I say to you in this room, you that are watching online today, no matter where you are today, my heart and my soul is, we're going to change direction, fellas. We're not going to do that song thing. I'm going to dismiss here in just a moment. I preached a little longer than I wanted to. My heart is this, that you know that no matter where you are, if you have received Christ, no matter where you are, you're my brother and you're my sister. No matter what you believe, no matter where you've been, no matter how you define yourself, if you've received Christ and you are trusting Him and you are hearing His voice, I want you to know today you're my brother and you're my sister. I'm not casting you off, nor am I casting you down, and nor is this house. That's true of you watching online. That's true of you in this building. That's true of the people I have not yet met. You are my brother and you are my sister. I promise you I'm not looking for a way to throw stones. If I believe that God can change me, I want you to believe God can change you. I'm not going to fear you if you believe Christ. If you receive Christ, you're going to live for the Lord that you serve. We just read that. You're going to die for the Lord that you serve. If you believe you're serving Him and you're honoring Him, and it's Christ that you are confessing, you are my brother and you're my sister. And we can walk together. We might not do all all things together. You might believe in things I absolutely do not. 
I might believe in things you absolutely do not. Does not change the fact that we are brothers and we are sisters. No different than in the house. I raised, my wife and I raised three children. I can tell you there are things that each of them believe. One believes one thing, one believes another thing. None of that unto death that I'm aware of. But they believe different things. They don't let that get in the way. They are brothers and sisters. They will always be brothers and sisters. You cannot separate the relationship that they have. I'm telling you today, this is true. If you have received Christ, and I want you to get this in you, if you're under the sound of my voice, if you call, your, if you call the Rock of Central Florida home, let's let Holy Spirit begin to purge those places in us that keep people at arm's length that aren't like us. We're m- more aggressive towards people who are in the kingdom that don't believe like us than people who are out of the kingdom and don't believe at all. He's doing a work in you and me. Get up beside your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we get up beside our brothers and sisters, whether we agree or not, We don't make the relationship about our agreement. We make the relationship about our joining to Christ. I'm going to tell you, there'd be a lot more miracles in the world today. A lot more people coming to Christ. People outside the church today, the reason they don't want anything to do with the church is because the church is not even in agreement. There's no unity in the church. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He didn't say in agreement. In unity. One mind, one spirit. But that one mind and one spirit isn't about what we believe naturally. It's about what we believe by the spirit. That he is God and there's not another. And he sent his son Jesus Christ. And he lived, he died, and he rose again. So that whosoever will call upon his name, they will be saved. Not one person. He's not going to look over one person. He's not going to say to one person, before I say yes to your repentance, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to give you about 90 days to get all these things cleared up in your life. I'm going to say yes to your repentance. And whatever time it takes, I'll reveal to you when I need to reveal to you what needs to change. Don't let anybody else do that in you. Do in you what I was sent to do. You hear me today. Stand with me if you will.